Here we are. It's uh, the first Academia Giallo of 2023. Um, and we're kicking off with uh, sort of a flashback to one of our earlier series, um, Scuola Argento, where we talked about the films of Dario Argento. And today we are talking about... Okay, once again, I, I need some help on when the hell this movie came out. Because <laughs> I think the screening thing I watched on Plex said 1972. IMDb says 1971. Okay, there's usually the real year, which is the Italian release year. And then there's like the American year, which could be 30 years later. I have no idea. Uh, I'm going to defer to my guests, the lovely and talented, both of you, uh, Jay Blake Ficarra of Scored to Death fame. And uh, Aaron Christensen of Horror 101 with Dr. AC. Welcome, guys. And tell me, when did, this, when did Four Flies on Gray Velvet come out? Uh, I believe it was 1971. And what I thought you were going to say was that, once again, we had seen the first and the third in a trilogy, and we had skipped the middle one. Um, and I apologize for that. It was completely unintentional. I didn't pick this one. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this was the, the third of Argento's Animals trilogy. Uh, and uh, the Bird with the Crystal Plumage came out in 1970, and then mm -hmm. Cat of Nine Tales and this film both came out in 1971. Wow, okay, so he was <clears throat> he did two, two of the same uh, in the unofficial like animal trilogy in the same right. year. Oh, hey, wait, guess what? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what do you know hey brian martinez of the giallo room welcome Good. uh buongiorno nice expect the unexpected <laughs> the, uh, guys with beards talking about italian <laughs> the guys with beards wearing red i just noticed that we're all that's true we all have some red i got yeah. this yep good 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 hey i thought i was being truest to the, to the theme by wearing a deep red but no sorry um you're not sorry that's true they keep catching me in lies i see uh brian you didn't miss much we just established what year uh four flies on gray velvet came out it was uh 1971 um and it is the third of argento's animals trilogy which i gotta call bs on because a cat and a bird those are animals right flies technically an animal Wait, how? It's not a yeah. mammal. It's it's an animal, though. Yeah. It's not it's a plant insect. or a mineral. Well, <laughs> right. I mean, we're an, all animals. An, an, insects are animals. Not all animals are insects. <laughs> I I feel like I'm getting schooled here. I did not. I never heard of this before. I thought it is insects not were their be a own No, you didn't know that. You didn't know insects are like considered animals. Where did you think they were? Insects. I thought it was all. <laughs> 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 45 years old it's animal I, I, I still... vegetable mineral and insects so i that that just opens up way too many questions for me about topics that we are not going to cover on this show Good. but um yeah thank you we'll, we'll talk offline um all right so let's talk about this uh this very unusual uh movie that i love even though i love everything about it except the main character i I thought this was a black hole of charisma that was almost insurmountable, but thanks to some su wonderful supporting characters, uh, a villain reveal and motive that I did not see coming and absolutely jaw dropping. I meant that I could not believe what I was watching. Final scene yep. uh, that <laughs> saved this, but uh, yeah, four flies on gray velvet, very strange movie. Um, I, 
Ryan, since you're you're running in late without a permission slip <laughs> uh, or a hall pass, rather, why don't you uh, summarize this movie for us? Um, without reading the vinegar <laughs> syndrome, or whatever. The... <laughs> <laughs> Um, the missing integral piece of Dario Argento's canon. Anyway, um, it's actually interesting before we get into this. Like, this was the first Blu-ray release, right? The Shameless, yeah. And um, after that, Arrow came out with these two beautiful, like, fucking beautiful editions of the first two of the animal trilogy yep. mm -hmm. and then later on as years go by this comes out you know and this is gorgeous don't get me wrong i, I fucking love this but i like out. the little reflective camera lens there that's cool on the front it's actually it's funny like this is such a contested issue like slip covers these days but yeah it's, it's a it's a cool release though like it's it's a really cool release by severin um, but I just don't understand why there's not like the third of this one. That would have been gorgeous. We you know? clearly didn't have the rights but. to it. Yeah, well, there was definitely this film was impossible to find. Yeah, until I think it came out on DVD in like 2009 or something. Yep. Uh, really? My first version of it was a VHS bootleg that looked yeah. like it was filmed off of like a. <laughs> You know, like a flatbed editing system. It looks so bad, <laughs> and you can hear like like happening in the background. So it was really hard to find. I I assume that it was just owned by a different company. I remember hearing at some point that it was like the reason why it was so hard to find was because the company that it was made originally made under was like went bankrupt, and so it didn't exist anymore. So nobody knew who owned it. But you know, who knows? That could be urban film legend as to that. But it was really hard to find. I was really lucky to in like 2007 ish film forum here in New York did a uh, Morricone retrospective, mm -hmm. and though they didn't show you know all all the films he. Uh, scored for Argento, they did show this one. And so that was the first time I got to see it not in this like horrible bootleg form <laughs> that was all scratched up and you couldn't really tell what was going on in the dark scenes. Um, so yeah, this was this was like the lost Argento movie for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of Italian movies where there's like so many weird rights issues and and who it belongs to and who purchased the rights at some point or whatever. Like um, I, I remember um, Jaretta explaining to me, like, that's one of the reasons why there's never been, like, a true sequel to the first two Demons movies, because nobody knows, like, who is the, the true owners of the rights to those films or whatever. Um, so I think just, like, Italy, like, overall, a lot of their films just kind of get scattered. Um, and, you know, like, truth be told, a lot of these films are, like, being talked about today versus back in back when they first came out so maybe they weren't as popular when they first came out and kind of nobody really cared about them they made their money they kind of parted ways or whatever and then now it's like now that there's new interest in these films it's so much harder to see like where they came from or who they belong to or whatever right. you know? yeah I, right. I was just writing liner notes for uh, a record release that was that's Italian related. So I was doing research, and there was something like 500 spaghetti westerns made, 
you know, from like the mid sixties to like the late seventies. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did just churn out stuff. So yeah, I mean yeah. like, and without home video, like it came and it yeah, went right. and the next thing. Right. And also, you know, a lot of these movies were made for kind of the outskirts of Italy where television wasn't really a big thing in Italy forever until like the eighties, really. They only had one or two channels and they were public, you know, I mean, they yeah. weren't public, they were private, they were, they were owned by the government. So, you know, people watched movies in Italy like it was television. So they would go right. to the movie like five, six times a week Ooh. and just like walk in, didn't pay attention to what time the movie started. They yeah. conversed, <laughs> they chatted while it was happening. And that's why you get these like big, uh, like set pieces, because it was a way to draw the audience <laughs> back to the screen. And that's why the story often doesn't really even make uh doesn't really factor into it or it's simple but uh but because the turnover of the films were so that you know people came so often they had to they changed the film every one to two days in these theaters so they wow. the italian film market for for the for the italians was just churning out movies and it's also kind of interesting because we you would assume that when the italian filmmakers were under an alias of an american name like the directors were, you know, using a credit that was American. It wasn't for American audiences. It was right. to dupe the Italian audiences into thinking that it was an American film. That <laughs> 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 it was an American film, not an Italian film. So the yeah. Italian film industry is like crazy. So, so yeah, <laughs> to, to, to your point, like, yeah, it it probably came out. It, those movies obviously were a success because then the whole animal giallo thing in the title yeah became a big wave but once the movie came and left you know like we didn't really see it till 2009 after that right so. right and then much to ian's confusion right like it wasn't shot as the animal trilogy back in the day like it was just adapted as that because the first three argento movies happened to have like animals in the title or whatever um, and, and this one did not and insects no. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, listen, I just want to pull over and mention that I am going to heavily edit this live stream once it's over. Because, Blake, you said something that disturbed me greatly. And I just can't let this out into the wider world, you know, because I can just see now people watching this and later on saying that, hey, me talking in the movie theater and carrying on with my friends while other yeah. people are trying to enjoy the feature. That's not being rude. That's just a fine Italian tradition. It's an Italian tradition. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually I, 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 have that. I first heard like um, you guys talk about that on Saturday, uh, Saturday sleepovers, right? Saturday night, Saturday movie night movie sleepovers. Yeah, <laughs> get it right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like when, when you were, I, for, I forget what film you guys were discussing, but it was um, you guys were talking about the culture of um, film going out in Italy during that time, and it, it just it provoked something in me where I was like, oh wow, like so. That's why you get a lot of these movies that pack those little punches in throughout the, like the pacing yeah. of it would definitely make sense to what you guys were discussing. Yeah, and if it, you know, it obviously affect like the visual style, like obviously like mm -hmm. style, and set pieces and like cool music became kind of paramount to, you know, like very intricate, easy to follow storylines mm -hmm. because it didn't really yeah. matter. Nobody was paying attention to the story anyway. So they right. would just have like a zombie wrestle a shark and then people would pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, the well, first I want to jump to a couple of comments here that we've got. So we have it's official for Jonas Hal Halberg. Thank you, Jonas. Seventeenth December, nineteen seventy-one, in Italy. Thank you. Uh, and also, Agitation Free says, love this film. Thanks for the great Giallo discussions. You are welcome, Agitation Free. <laughs> um, so I, I have it. a synopsis if we want it. No, yes, no, please, I'm, not, please, I'm not letting Brian off the hook. I'm not I'll, I'll read Brian it off the, the fucking shameless one. I'll read the shameless one, and it's not a shameless, even that great. Shameless synopsis. It's shameless it. synopsis. Shameless, <laughs> shameless uh, plagiarism. <laughs> Anytime. I mean, basically, it's, it's about... Um, a drummer in a band who gets followed by this mysterious figure and uh he one night he confronts this individual and and then it leads him into this like abandoned theater where he mistakenly murders this guy like on a, on the stage and then somebody catches him and snaps some shots right and then the entire uh rest of the thing he's trying to figure out what's going on um there's a killer in there and they're trying to figure out who the murderer is and the reveal at the end is nothing short of Jalo greatness. Um, so yeah, like it's got Mimsy farmer in it, which people hate. And I kind of dig, like I, I love her in movies. Wait, do people uh, hate Mimsy farmer? Yeah. Like when I was more heavily into the Jalo room, I would always see discussions like on the comment boards or whatever, how much <laughs> like she sucks and Oh my God, this movie would have been amazing if, she wasn't in it or whatever, which I have no issues with her. Like I, I did not know that. Okay. Why, yeah, what's the what's the beef with uh, and and she plays <laughs> Nina, the girlfriend of Roberto, she, our, the, our very sexy wife. drummer. She's wife, should, wife, yes, yeah. Should I go more with the the synopsis? That the score is the last time that Argento worked with uh, Ennio Morricone until Stendhal right. syndrome because they were pissed off at each other at some point over um, this movie. Well, like I guess decisions I so. that were made, right? Like. Um, what was the Argento wanted uh, Deep Purple to do it, yeah. and uh, they couldn't do it, and so he worked with uh, Morricone again, and re allegedly he was very hard on Morricone and just like didn't yeah. like the stuff that he was uh, producing for it, and it's my understanding again, you know, especially when it comes to Italian film history, it's a little, you know, uh, who said right. what and uh, that he walked. And the reason why there's actually only like three or four actual themes in the whole thing is because Marconi had already left. So they just kind of use what he had already produced, but yeah. And then they didn't really work together until, you know, Sendhal syndrome because they, they, Morricone was kind of fed up with Argento at that point. And not to mention, like, Argento found Goblin along the way, and there was no looking back after that, you know? That yeah, was like I a mean, whole new era of, like, just the way that his music really inspired the rest of his films, you know? Well, it's clear that he was already, I mean, he was very into rock, yeah. you know, already, and he's kind of, like, notoriously a huge rock fan, and the fact that he went to Deep Purple and Pink Floyd to do right. Deep Red, and um, you know, he was clearly already moving in that direction, and I guess he didn't feel like uh, as much as uh, as awesome as the rock stuff is in this movie. Right. <laughs> it wasn't living up. <laughs> I was just going to ask: Did Morricone do the the like the jazz rock, you know, themes? Like, was that him? I, be that I believe he did, but you know, I really love them. I thought those are really fun. Yeah, yeah. when I yeah. I didn't know anything about this movie going in. 
So when it opens up and there's that tremendous oh my kind of God. rock montage and the music and then like the beating heart with the black titles, yeah. I and it, it carries on for quite a while. And I thought this is this is amazing. I was almost yeah. like on my couch at four o'clock in the morning, like bopping along, like what am I doing? And then when Morricone's name came up as the composer, mm-hmm. I was looking, I was waiting to see if there was a band associated with it or something, and and I didn't. So I just I would assume that it was him and and Bravo. Um, one, one thing I want to take a sidebar. You said there was something like 500 spaghetti westerns produced in the course <laughs> of about a decade in Italy. That's I found that figure in a couple of different places. Yeah. In like a 15 yearish period. If there is not already, there needs to be. And it would be a very niche film for a very niche market. Somebody needs to make a comedy about making a spaghetti western and running into all the other spaghetti westerns that are being filmed at the same time. <laughs> That would be, I would show up for that in a heartbeat. Well, but, only, um, four, only 400 of those spaghetti westerns starred Bud Spencer. So, you know. <laughs> which well, he's in this film and he's brilliant. That's um, why I brought it up, Brian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I just knocked something off my tchotchke shelf. Um, By the way, um, before we go off the soundtrack, I just wanted to mention I, I wish that was partly why I was late, not to mention I wanted to grab a beer. But I was looking for the uh, the vinyl that I have of it um, mm. that was released not too long ago, and I wanted to show you the insert because the cover is just brilliant, the way that it does the four flies, and it's velvety. Um, but what I want to mention, in case the individuals out there watching this, um, somebody that I met through the Jallo room, and you just kind of like along the way, oh my God, this person has amazing insight into these Italian films. So, you know, I'll friend him and whatnot, and We've always had the relationship online. Uh, one day, um, the individual messages me, and he's like, I have these albums that I'm not going to do anything with. Like, I figured you were the guy that would appreciate these the most. Um, so he sent them to me, and I was just blown away. I was like, wow, like, uh, just a beautiful gesture. So if you're out there watching, thank you so much. Um, I cherish those editions uh, very personally like i'll 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 do my because i love these italian films so much i'll have my little personal time at the end of my days and i'll put those soundtracks on and my leather gloves on and i, I don't have anything else on and nothing else is- <laughs> <laughs> no stiletto, it's personal, stiletto it's his personal time that's right wait did i say that out loud <laughs> sideways there for a second <laughs> Well, that is that is a really nice gesture, and I think that that's no, it was, they will call it a not 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 you're dressing up. I'm talking about the <laughs> records, but that's why I think people call it refer to it as a horror community because yeah. you know, people really do kind of come out for each other. I'm going to drop my camera for a second and adjust this camera because it's going all Batman oh, villain mode again. Okay, I don't know fun. what's going on here. Actually, you know yeah. what? I don't even. Should know we all give thanks? Yeah, this is a Thanksgiving <laughs> episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to shout out. <laughs> you can you can you can shout out whoever you want then we'll talk about four flies on gray velvet i keep thinking of four flies on blue velvet i can imagine dennis hopper behind that <laughs> that's a whole that other movie. mask yes um all right if i am i tilting again you're, something's you're, wrong you look right. beautiful Ian. You're, you're, you look yeah, fantastic you. you never look better uh, wow anyway um so this and i kind of mentioned this before this main character, Michael Brandon, as Roberto Tobias. 
uh, he's in this rock band. They're like, I guess, recording an album and all this weird stuff starts to happen, including this encounter with the mysterious mustachioed man who he believes he stabs to death and uh, or, or stabs and then falls through a stage and is never seen from again. He starts getting all these weird uh, messages and photographs and uh, letters sent to him with the guy's passport. And it's all very mysterious and creepy. And his wife, I referred to him as referred to her as the girlfriend earlier because I don't know that I saw either one of them wearing a, a wedding ring. They seemed like the loosest married couple I think I've ever seen <laughs> on film. Well, I think we got the impression that they hadn't been married long. You know, like uh, she she is she refers to you know her father. <laughs> there we go. Um, you know, she refers uh, to her father. And, and that whole relationship as having been just a, uh, a year or so ago. So, I mean, it was pretty, pretty clear, you know, like she'd found what she was looking for. Uh, and what's interesting is that, you know, um, we are talking spoilers. So yes. uh, the fact, the mm. fact that, you know, we, we get her, the reason why she marries him is so that she can get back at her father <laughs> in the very, in a very you know intimate way. Yeah. Uh, but what that's also why I'm kind of like, wait, people hate Mimsy Farmer because I think she's amazing in this that Me final too. sequence. I'm like, what, wait, and I also didn't realize I was doing a little, uh, like poking around the internet, uh, after I watched it because I, I've seen this about this is like the third time I've seen it, and this was my favorite viewing of it. I feel like I've just appreciated it more and more each time. Oh, good, good, but good. I was also just like you know, looking at Mimsy Farmer, I'm like, oh, she's, she was born in Chicago, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And like, she played like biker chicks in AIP pictures and then went over to Italy because I only knew her from her Italian films. Yeah. But you know, like uh, she did autopsy. Um, like she's, she, I, and I just didn't realize there was a, there was a hate fest on for Mimsy Farmer. I will say that it's interesting because the dubbing on the release, the American release it, it gives her almost like a weird accent. Mm. Uh, did anybody else notice that? Cause I'm like, uh, Mimsy farmer does not have an accent unless it's a Chicago <laughs> accent. So what's going on? It's just, yeah, she's, really, she's really like visually striking in this. I think so. Like, right. Hair right. And like, right. it really does. I feel like she adds not just her performance, which I agree. She's fantastic at the end of that movie, but yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's like the Argento movies are set in like this weird time and space that even though it's yeah. often Italy or wherever they, and she certainly adds to that. Like she's just very, you, like, yeah. you can't keep your eyes off of her. And, when she's on and she, she plays the duality of that really well too. Like she could be the, the cool wife or whatever. And then when she cracks, it's like, you believe that too, because she, yeah. she's got that certain thing where it's like the duality uh, in her is really like, she's got good range, I think. Well, and as Blake pointed out, I mean, nobody else in the film looks like her. Like she's just so yeah. kind of like visually arresting and and she's, you know, beautiful and she's got charisma. I'm just kind of like, I, <laughs> I'm going to keep like, Brian, wait, who hates Mimsy Farmer? <laughs> I want a list. It's out there. It's out there. I wish I was making that up because I love her. But um, I will say I do enjoy her cousin a little bit more sure as I mean, and so did roberto apparently <laughs> <laughs> um but okay, spoilers so i well i that's why the banner's on i gotta i gotta uh, again pull over and say this is the first of my two two friday the 13th references for this episode bring them on oh, here we go here we i go. was very confused the first time mimsy showed up <clears> on the screen because 
I because I was putting it together. This is 1971, so the dates wouldn't have worked out. But to me, she looked exactly like an actress named uh, Susan Jennifer Sullivan, who was in Friday the 13th, The New Blood, playing Melissa, who was like the the preppy uptight girl who ends up getting an axe to the face at the end of the film. I mm -hmm. thought they were dead ringers for each other. And again, probably because I was watching this you know, way before dawn, uh, I, I was having a moment. I was thinking, well, they are kind of speaking in these American accents. Maybe this is actually her and she's just ageless, but that turns out not to be the case. The second Friday the 13th reference, I'll just get this out of the way. Uh, the cousin um, that Brian just mentioned, uh, she gets slashed. Uh, she's she's looking around a corner and all of a sudden the killer comes out with a knife right to the forehead and then she thumps backwards I down the it. stairs, That's much like a certain mm. character in Friday the 13th Part 2, although this, this guy was in a wheelchair, but I got the same vibes out of it. Now, that's just that's just me, because I am determined to connect Dahlia, all of right? these films. Dahlia, yes. Dahlia, yeah. Um, so that's that's me getting my nonsense out of the way, at least for now. Um, <laughs> I'd the... like to take this moment to be like, that bathroom sex did not look bathtub sex did not look comfortable at all. I was like, I was that like, tends to be a, true of bathroom sex though. I'm like, see. That's a, I'm like that is a myth. Like bathtub sex is a myth. I'm not buying it. It's just like no, there's not enough room in there for both of you to begin with. Uh, it can the work. only it can the work. only time that uh, yeah okay <laughs> the the only time I think that's ever worked is, and I think it was a hot tub was in Showgirls. But that's just because uh, Elizabeth Berkeley was working really hard to make it look hot. Um, <laughs> but that's just that's just me again. I gotta leave my neuroses at home. Um, let's talk about visually. You know, oh, Argento was beautiful. put on the he he kind of like was made a, a big splash with colors. He's known for vibrant colors, especially after you know Suspiria and on. But one thing that struck me was just the visual inventiveness. Mm -hmm. of this film one of roberto's friends tells a story at a party about uh you know a, a, something he read about in saudi arabia where they had beheaded someone in like a stadium and so after that story that it just gets into roberto's consciousness i guess because he keeps having these dreams and we see like this it starts off with a blinding light with these kind of vague shapes and then you see that it's from like a worm's eye view of the of the executioner and then it cuts to this giant stadium and you see people kind of like watching as this beheading happens and in the dream the guy it's brilliant i'd never thought about this but it makes sense if it's true uh the executioner stabs the the person who's kneeling in front of them in the back of the neck yeah. with a like a dagger in order to stun them and stiffen up the body and stiffen up the neck, to, I guess, to make it easier when he swings the sword around. But it always, the dream cuts short, you know, right before the impact. And Roberto is haunted by this. It becomes this motif. It's some very, it's a very modern uh, type of filmmaking, I feel. I feel like I could see this in, in something that was shot in 2023. It almost doesn't look like it belongs in the movie, that whole fantasy sequence. Mm. And it's not a, it's not a criticism. It's just no. so yeah. jarring. It looks like someone yeah. else was brought in to, to help bring this to life. Well, and I mean, you have some other like instances of Argento's camera flare when you get that the slow-mo bullet you know, yeah. uh, shot and we have, Oh, I love, I love it when he has the camera like tracking behind the bottle that goes smack right into the guy's head. I was like, that is so good. So I, I don't remember. I said, I wasn't remembering these visual flourishes from my previous viewings. I remember the ending 
you know, uh, very distinctly because that's just stunning. That's it's so like, yeah, it's stunning. It's haunting. Like, you know, if it were, how did you do that? If it were done today, no doubt it'd be CGI. Right? Oh, of course, of course. And like he's that's the thing about his films. It's like yeah, they are these jarring pieces of art on the screen or whatever. But just the 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 ideas that he he comes out with, you know, just the innovation mm-hmm. of his shots, like throughout each one of his films until later, of course, but. I think later he's just more concentrated on I have this name and uh, you know I'm just going to do Dracula 3D or whatever you know, but um, stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like back then it was just an exciting time because each film he was working on a different level. Like how can I? What new thing could I bring to you know this film visually or whatever? He was always like really excited about that stuff, you know, and and it shows. Agreed. Yeah, well, he's clearly, you know, someone who's interested in technical things. And we see yeah. that even with like this laser device that can read, you know, the red <laughs> right. of right. So the weird. Dead <laughs> but you also have to take account, like after the success of, you know, Bird of the Crystal Plumage and then, mm-hmm. you know, Cat and I Tales, like when all these kind of copycats, for lack of a better term, but like the the animal giallo movies became this yeah. weird subgenre. Like he surely, even though it was he did them in like a two year period, it just knocked them out one, two, three. He must have felt pressure to kind of like stay ahead yeah. of what all those other things, all those other filmmakers were doing with like was essentially you know copying him for lack of a yeah. better mm-hmm. kind of like notion. But right. and it's one of the reasons why he said this was going to be his last giallo. Like he wasn't going right. to do another one after this, right? Because right. I think he just didn't want to <laughs> compete in that. And you know, very few filmmakers enter the the business being like, I want to make this kind of film, and mm-hmm. that's all I want to do. And yeah. he was coming from a yeah. criticism background, so I think he had like much bigger plans and then when you know five days or five days of milan didn't do well it was like okay well <laughs> i'll do deeper i'll do deeper i'll do another one sure and and, and then he does profondo rosso which is like you know classic in terms of giallo or whatever yeah and, you know when you speak of it, the pressure that he must have had like i wonder if that's why deep red is so great you know because like okay like you guys didn't like my attempt at comedy let me show you what I'm known for, kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know. So yeah, it's interesting. And there's a lot. When you... There's a lot of parallels between that and yeah. this film. I mean, right. people think of Deep Red as being like the introduction of kind of like the paranormal with the clairvoyance mm-hmm. thing in Deep Red, but you could definitely interpret the dream in this as being yeah. kind of clairvoyant and, yeah. you know, like he's, he's having this premonition of what's going to happen because it's a dream. He can't really decipher what, what it is, right. what it means. What? And that's sort of one, you know, after the movie's over, I start thinking about kind of the mechanics of it, which I know is a big mistake. But <laughs> it, it seems to me that Roberto's inner life is far more exciting than anything he's got going on in the waking world. Um, you know, he's a character that things kind of happen to him rather than being more proactive. But I just, I have to wonder, what is the connection, aside from a you know, as an audience member, I'm watching this repeating theme of the execution, the beheading. Thematically, I guess it works because of what we see at the very end of the film. But what sense does it make in terms of 
the story. I kept wondering, is he imagining this because this is some kind of a guilt he has or some kind of a fear or whatever? But it's like, no, we just his friend told him a story at a party. He keeps thinking about it, probably infused with the stress of this person following him. But it doesn't have a wider significance to the truth of the actual mystery. Is that right? Or am I missing something? Thematically? Well, I will say if you're going to ask the question, what sense does this make to the rest of the story? When you're watching an Argento movie, you're like, you're <laughs> up the wrong tree. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're well, you're kind I, of entering, I mean, you're entering it on the wrong, <laughs> on the wrong foot. I think. <laughs> well, but here's, and I, I'm willing to accept that it is just a visual flourish, but I was trying, while I'm watching a movie and I, I don't, I kind of approach all movies the same. Like, it's going to tell a story. It's going to tell it in its own way. And it's up to me to figure out kind of what it all means at the end. So when it comes to Argento, I don't... And maybe this is my fault. I don't ever sit down and say, okay, this doesn't have to make sense. I just kind of say, okay, he's going to tell me a story. It is your so, fault. It is your and, fault. And, and, well, that's... And I'm, I'm fully willing to admit that. But my question... I was just trying to figure out, because you guys have seen this film more than I do. Was there some kind of a relationship between that vision and all the ultimate truth of the mystery or what his part in it is, or is it just kind of a visual flair? Well, okay. So I, I, I if I can jump in, I think that Please. like a, he was thinking, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to bookend bookend this with decapitations mm -hmm. and I'm going to have this decapitation uh, motif throughout, but there's also like on a, on a, a critical level that might've appealed to him. It's, you know, we're watching somebody kind of lose their head. You know, like he's losing, he's kind of like, I don't know what's happening and I can't quite track why. It, and it, it, and it all feels a little crazy because he's in his house and somebody is entering and leaving his house without him. And it's like, that feels like weird. It feels dreamlike. And so I think there is, you know, there, if you want to get out your film criticism, you know, handbook and be like, okay, this, this all, this checks a lot of boxes in terms of it having thematic instance uh, matching the visual. You know, I think it's in there, but I think yeah. Blake's right. I think Blake, uh, I, I think like Argento's like going, I would really love to have a really awesome decapitation and I'd really like to have a really awesome decapitation and I'll have them both in the same movie and they'll mirror each other and it'll be awesome. And, and they're both two totally completely different things. You know what yeah. I mean? Like one thing yeah. is actually a true real nightmare and then the other thing is in the movie. So it's like that juxtaposition, but they're both wildly stylized, right? And, and right. they're also they're also and ritualized. Both, yeah, they're also both strictly for the audience because it's <clears> not <throat> like because because uh, Nina she jumps in the car and she you know speeds away at the end and then she gets into this car accident. Roberto isn't there to see it, right? So the only way to know that is a th kind of a thematic tie-in. Like it'd be one thing if. He rushed out into the street and saw her, and you know, get in the accident, right. and then the head lops down. And I imagine another filmmaker might see her head rolling, and then he would flash to the head rolling in his dreams, and then cut to black. But and, and don't get me wrong, guys, I'm not saying that I have a problem with this kind of disconnected, you know, visually thematic but not necessarily narratively cohesive, you know, thing in general. Sometimes it bugs me more than others. I was just trying to figure out, especially because I watched it for the first time today. Mm -hmm. If maybe there was a connection that you know I was I was missing. Well, what's kind of interesting about both sequences is before you were talked about how this was really not easy to find for decades. Yeah, but well, every time you watch, yeah, 
which every time, but every time you watch something that was Argento related, like these were the two scenes that you saw from this movie. <laughs> so, right, like, you right. didn't see that's the only other, you know, maybe the shot of the, the guy with the mask taking the pictures in the yeah, theater. Uh, but those are really the only three things that most people ever saw of this movie until it became more widely released. So, it definitely made it seem like the importance of those two things was like much greater in a, in a weird way than it ends up mm. actually being because it was like the trademark of these. Yeah. This it became its own. It was, it was kind of like the reason why he made this movie. Like here's, here's the calling card. Here's the movie's calling card. It's like, this is the moment they're going to be talking about. And you would only see those things and you'd be like, this movie looks crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I wish the mask was a little bit more significant in the movie. Mm. Like, I, I just, I wish, like, it just meant more, like, you know, um, if Roberto maybe found it at the end or something, you know, like, just, I wish it would have tied in a little bit more to everything that was going on. Because it's such a symbol of the film, you know. Well, so. but then again, you could say the same thing about the deep red doll. I mean, I remember, like. That, All like, true. That, right. You know, yeah. like, like the deep yeah. red doll. It's like, what, why, why that in the first place? <laughs> But like that became such an iconic, like that's yeah. on some of the box cover art. And right. You True. see that in, in the stills and, and it's like, it's only in that movie for that, that long, but it was mm -hmm. such a, so like an striking, interesting, man. yeah, an interesting weird piece of cinema. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm going to get like really highfalutin and, and pretentious <laughs> here. here. <we> go. <laughs> uh, so strap Nina, in boys. <laughs> yeah. Nina is revealed to be our killer at the very end in a motivation that aside from, you know, like, a couple of disconnected scenes that again feel like red herrings because you assume it's going to be applied to like a, a male character perhaps even roberto um these asylum scenes and also like talking about you know i can't remember the exact line but it's like you're not the son i wanted or something like that um she is the killer so she's ostensibly the one behind that mask and that mask is this very wide-eyed crazy looking figure with short cropped blonde hair it, uh, Nina, throughout the film, she is, you know, misleading everybody, the, the characters and the audience. She seems very well put together, but she seems like the concerned wife. You know, we've seen in a lot of these movies, she's kind of, you know, sent away for a period of the picture because, you know, she, the husband doesn't want her in danger. She turns out to be a killer. And at the end, when she reveals herself and she's waving the gun around, her mask of normalcy slips and she comes close to resembling the mask that she was wearing <laughs> at the beginning of this picture. Um, I don't, I don't know that that's a coincidence, but you know, if it's not, there you go. Yeah. It's Mimsy farmer. <laughs> Which actually, uh, I think this could be like a Daryl Hammond mask. You know, if anybody knows what Daryl Hammond is. Oh yeah. SNL baby. <laughs> Loved him. Um, but yeah, it's, it is uh, a great reveal, but before we talk, more about that i want to get into the absolutely bizarre supporting cast which mm. why couldn't we have had a movie about uh the the people that roberto seeks help from you've got god aka godfrey um you've got which the professor bud okay. spencer is the hero of this film by the way i don't know i i kind of totally think is he totally i kind of think it's the the guy who played the private detective uh, oh absolutely Ar <laughs> yeah yeah which god that was is great a but great uh, scene. That was a great scene when, when he meets his, uh, you know, 
his death or whatever. Like the the way that it's like, oh, I knew it all, and like I finally solved <laughs> I the case. I yeah. solved the case. He said like 80, 80 cases, and he yeah. never solved any of them. He's like, that's his selling point. That's his selling point. He's like, going, I got to solve one at some point. So and he did it. Very yeah, he, yep, he did yep. it. Not in time, but uh, yeah, no, I think and, and, uh, looking online and on IMDb, it was saying that like that was the actor's decision to play him as a homosexual, which really? I, you know, I mean, and I think Brian, you've, you've mentioned this character in previous episodes um, as kind of like, you know, Argento's progressiveness and, you know, because we have a character and yes, he does, uh, he does kind of play that limp-wristed version of homosexuality but Literally. he's also pretty resourceful oh, yeah. and he's intelligent and he's likable and you know like he as you said you know he kind of does uh, track down his his quarry just not not in time to save himself but he's he's an actual you know he's a he's a genuinely uh, empathetic character and he's not just there for as the butt of a joke and, and not only that but like what Ian was referring to, like, I think Argento just stacks his characters. So they all have a life of their own in the film. <clears throat> and you don't necessarily have to follow each and every one, but they're right. there to explore, you know? And I think that's such a great little detail that he injects into M much of his earlier work, I would say. Um, and I think he still kind of does that. Um, like in Dark Glasses, which fast forward to his most recent film, like there, are, there is a lot of that still where it's like, oh, this person could be a really interesting character if we follow mm -hmm. that individual, you know? But I think that he's always done that. And, you know, much to what Ian is about to talk about in terms of, like, why couldn't, like, these characters be, like, more fleshed out or whatever? I think the purpose is, <laughs> like, they they all serve their little purposes, but they're yeah. so full of just life in, in these yeah, movies. Yeah, I mean, our professor, our postal carrier. Yeah. Uh, uh, all, the, all the people at the party. I mean, it's the just Swedish, like every... The Swedish porn scene just gets me every <laughs> fucking time. <laughs> Well, well the interesting, you know, one of the interesting things is like in a movie like this, <laughs> where we don't know who the killer is until the final minutes, it would always be like we'd have this cast of characters. We're always wondering, like, which one of them right. is the killer. But I mean, but this is but this film doesn't really play that way, you know, like because, mm -hmm. one, because he goes to them for help. Right. But there is, you know, the. I just feel like it's an interesting take on it because it's like, we never think that like God and the professor have anything to do with this or that mm -hmm. the private detective has anything to do with it. We're just given like this really colorful cast of characters that provide a lot of the comic relief throughout the whole entire movie, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, needs to be mentioned because and it's genuinely this movie, funny. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. more than most of his movies, it's, it's genuinely funny and full of comedy in this, in what happens with, in what also ends up being like probably one of his darkest Giallo movies mm, in terms of mm -hmm. like, you know, and it's a very interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. The, the comedy is great. I mean, like the introduction sequence uh, with God, I mean, he's out fishing and then they go back to his shack and that's when Roberto kind of fills him in, but God introduces him to, jerk off the parrot no no he doesn't ask him to jerk off the parrot he has a parrot named jerk off um and then he offers him like raw fish i don't know if they're sardines or something but he's sitting there eating raw fish he offers one to roberto and roberto refuses 
And he says, just as I suspected, a typical victim of the consumer society. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but, but he's not you know, into macrobiotics. So well, there you go. Well, the I in addition to uh, I get the flip side to are they going to any of these going to be the killer, as we might suspect in another movie. You also think that they might be victims. You know, you're kind of setting up your, your body true. count. But no, right. these these guys, they come in their true supporting characters are off trying to help in their own ways. But we don't follow up on them, to, you know, aside from the uh, the private detective, uh, Orocio, played, I think, very well by Jean-Pierre mm. Moret. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My, my only criticism in terms of the attitude, and I don't know, you mentioned that it was his idea to play the character as gay. I don't know to what extent the landlord that he runs into was in the script gay versus maybe he was playing off of Murray's decision. But to me, I didn't have a problem with Murray being, as you mentioned, kind of AC, a limp-wristed kind of flamboyant guy because it didn't come off as a hateful stereotype. It just came off as like, well, a bit flamboyant, Ooh, yes. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Now, when he meets the landlord, I guess, I think he was a landlord. He goes to you know talk to this guy and get some clues that guy that i think crosses the line because he is totally like lispy like double limp-wristed and he pings that brings out a damn pink like fan fan to like yeah. fan himself i'm like oh and that they're like I'll, i'm gonna give you my number i'm like it's just it's so cliche and hackneyed that i was like this this film is better than this um but, and, but i mean but i mean why not though you know what i mean like if like, I guess it's illustrating the fact that, you know, this is um, an individual who has another life, right? Like, I think it's right, a good but little... I, I, my, my point is, like, you have one character who rings in, uh, leans into some of the stereotypes about that, mm -hmm. but then to have another that is almost doubling down those stereotypes and almost paints the portrait that all gay people are a certain way. See, I, I took it as, like, if it were, like, the, the Magnum P.I., uh, of like detectives going in to like talk to a female, right? Maybe there's a little bit of flirtation going on or whatever, you mm. know? Why oh, yeah, not but... flip it in 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 the same thing, but just flip it so it shows another lifestyle, you know? I, I think that's how I took it anyway. No, I I agree. I think it's trying to showcase that you know gay relationships can be just as flirtatious. I'm just saying when you've got someone who's you know, I'm looking for this person. Oh, I'm, I know this person too. You know, it wasn't quite as bad as that, but it's like there was no contrast. There was no variety to it. It's like, and here's the scene with the gay dudes. Can you tell? I'm like, you know, I, 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 again, for as progressive as I felt that, and again, it wasn't to, it wasn't Argento's idea. It was the actor, but Argento said, yeah, let's, let's go with that. Let's explore that. I thought it was very cool. When they introduced the landlord character, that's when I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, this doesn't feel quite right. Fair enough. Moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk about that that death scene because, yeah, it is it's super sad because what starts out as a comedic character, AC, as you mentioned, yeah, he's had 84 cases, lost all of them or, or not solved any of them. He gets the one and the killer leans in to say, you know, you finally you, you finally got it right. He dies knowing that he seems almost you know, I, I don't know what the drug was, if it was something that kind of let him go painlessly because he didn't seem like he was suffering mm. uh, beyond the knowledge that he was going to die. Uh, but it's a it's a surprisingly kind of tender heart stringing yeah. moment in this film that's otherwise 
like a weird rock comedy and turns out to be a, a much darker horror piece almost. Well, and I, and one of the interesting, um, because the house, the housekeeper, you know, who ends up deciding she is going to blackmail uh, Roberto, like, which I think is hilarious. No, she's She's blackmailing uh, the killer. Uh, but, but, <laughs> Always but, a good idea. But the, the fact that she, like, there was that weird scene in the park where it's like she blinks and everybody's gone. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what just happened? Like, it's so and then surreal. She, and then she blinks again and like, it's dark. And I was like, I don't, I don't remember this and I love it. I don't understand it at all. Uh, and then her murder happens literally off screen. And I was like, wow, you know, this is, it was surprising because it, it kind of uh, bucked convention from what we, what we've been expecting. I, I love that, the, that, the the concept of it. I think is great. Yeah. Like this idea yeah. of it, it, it's tricky to try to you know to have the idea and then try to figure out how to film to it. actually justify that, like, it. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know that like time is passing, mm -hmm. and she's like worried, thinking about whatever. You know, like she loses herself right. in yeah. like a in a daydream. You yeah. know, for instance, yeah. like she just kind of loses yeah, I, herself, and, and next thing she knows. Like, she's the only one there. It's such a right. great I, I love that because I, I've been there too, right? Like, you're you're just lost in thought or whatever. By the way, we lost Ian. <laughs> <laughs> but we're you just I'm lost still here. I'm just trying to fix the uh, fix the angle again. It's bugging me. <laughs> and 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 just like time passes and you just lose all of you know, like you blink your eyes and like, oh my god, like. Where, where am I first? Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Like, like all of a sudden it's concept. dark, and you know, we're like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've been working on something, and you know, I was working on it yesterday, and all of a sudden I realized like it's nine o'clock at night. And, yeah, like, yeah, I didn't eat yeah. dinner. I didn't, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like it's dark outside. Like, what happened? I was just. But in some ways, out. in some ways, it feels like you know the killer is actually you know driving this. Like it, it, mm. it doesn't. It feels less like a daydream and more kind of intentional. And yeah, it feels yeah. kind of like uh, malevolent. And that's kind of the uh, the fun flavor of it is like, oh, gosh, you know, it's not just like, oh, I got lost in my own thoughts. It's like I'm waiting for a killer and suddenly the world has gone sideways and things are not happening the way they should be. And I just want to speak to Argento's like the way that he constructs like death scenes in particular. Right. Mm. Like, I, I think it's almost like he just engineers all these different great you know the way that he approaches each and every death scene is so different from each from the previous or whatever and he puts a little bit of like like for example the detective's death scene is a little bit of like you know emotion in that you know and then so it's meaningful and then like the one with um you know um dahlia falling down the stairs the way mm -hmm. that that happens you know versus like the stair the stair murder in um uh, bird with the crystal plumage you know that's going up like spiral stairs and you know in this way it's like he it, it's like every every fucking murder scene it's like <laughs> he's just he's got like charts up he's trying to figure out like what perspective what angle like it's just i love that each and every one is different because like when you get to um like for example what ian was mentioning like the friday the 13th films it's almost like they kind of go out of their way to make each murder like so different, like, you know, with a, uh, a harpoon gun or, you know, with this or whatever, you know, which, by the way, I'll just throw in my favorite 
Jason death scene is with the sleeping bag against the tree. Oh yeah. But um, <laughs> but like I there's love a- how he just constructs his his murder in these Italian films. Well, there's definitely like an intimacy to them. Yeah, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Like, and it's one from of the reasons one, why he says. It's the reason, right. one of the reasons why he says, like, he, not in this movie, but in most of the other movies, he's like the cans of the killer because it's mm-hmm. like a very intimate thing to him. I mean, it's, it's not just like a murder, it's the end of this character's life and what that means to him and to the viewer and to everything. It's, and he can tell that, like, he, it's one of the reasons why he takes so much care in it is because it's really important. <laughs> yeah. And, and you almost wonder, like, what he said in, um, his uh, uh, what you call it? His world of horror, Dario Argento's world of horror mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm. where he was like, you know, it almost makes you like chill to the bone. Where it's like, wow, if he wasn't making these films, I wonder, <laughs> he, like, he was doing half the stuff, you know. So I'm gonna have uh, to duck out uh, pretty quick here. I did just want to okay. make one one comment because um, we were talking about like that. The, the again, the title comes from this crazy. Uh, uh, you know, science where you get to photograph the retina of a dead person and you get to capture the last image that they, and, and the, the idea that it's not just like a fly and they don't call a lot of attention to the fact that, you know, she's wearing uh, a necklace that has a fly on it. But the fact that like, he's, he must've been thinking, okay, I'm going to get like four different shots of this mm-hmm. so that we get click, 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 click. Yeah. Uh, that to me is kind of like, that's somebody's brain working in a way that I couldn't even, I'm like, it would be so easy to right. just say, Hey, right. let's capture the image of something, but right. we're going to actually capture four images, which means it's a swinging pendulum. Yeah. And I'm like, that's like, that's you're, just you're going out of your way for like, yeah. you know, something different. AC, before you duck out, I just want to mention that this film, it's kind of an ironic thing. Um, Gene Siskel, gave this one out of four stars when it first came out, right? And this film is playing at the Gene Siskel Theater here in Chicago <laughs> in two weeks. So it's kind of weird that that's That's, happened, that's right? beautiful. That's Don't beautiful. attend that screening. He's going to haunt the screening. <laughs> what were you going to say, Blake? I won't stand for this. I was going to say uh, Luigi Cozy wrote a book about the making of this movie because he helped write it and he was this is a direct order. And according to him, like Argento had the title. He's like, I like this title, Four Flies in Grey Velvet. Oh, wow. How could what can we do to, in this movie <laughs> to, to have it make sense? Wow. And I mean, if you read the book, it's like Luigi Cozzi, you know, it's his movie. If you really, if you read yeah. it, it's like he had this <laughs> idea and he had that idea, and this was his, and that was his, and he's the one that came up with the science science eye thing. And um, but then, so they had That's this so idea. Italian. Then, That's so Italian. <laughs> and so they had this title, and then. They came up with this device for the eye, and they're like, "Well, what can they see?" And so then they had to figure out like how to do it. So like, yeah, like yeah. what that meaning would be. So they're like, "Well, we'll have four," and then they had to. So it's like kind of they kind of like engineered Reverse it backwards. Engineer it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, cool. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's really well. Cool. AC, I, w- I know you got to duck out. I want to keep the conversation going for a couple more minutes because yep. I, w- I do want to talk about this this swinging pendulum thing a bit more. And I've got some questions for the group. But um, AC, we will catch you. Well, we're going to be talking real soon about uh, another uh, horror film. But um, yeah, thanks for thanks for hanging out and joining Absolutely. us as always. We'll see you back next month. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye, AC. Bye. Bye. All right. So 
Um, I don't, I don't know how gone. you guys. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you guys are like in your screen, but now I'm all by myself down here. Oh yes, it's, you like, are it's like the Brady by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I I don't I don't want to keep us too long, but I did want to ask about this closing sequence because yeah, I was going to bring up that um, that swinging pendulum thing, and what a great idea that was because the the doctors or the scientists, I guess, who are working with Roberto to to figure this out, like, hey, we've got this thing, maybe we'll capture the face of the killer because it's going to be the last thing that the per the victim saw and we don't get it we get a fly but then just this i love the idea of the four flies across because it also speaks to is it a glitch in the technology is it something that they're expecting versus what the machine can actually capture like it's capturing you know almost like stills of an animation um like if it had been the face of the killer's last thing they saw would it have been like kind of morphed because the face was moving i don't know it's just these great possibilities almost getting into the realm of science fiction when you're not expecting it in a giallo i didn't think i was going to see a contraption holding an eyeball <laughs> with like lasers shooting across it when i started this movie i love that that unexpected bit but i need your help with the climactic confrontation between nina and roberto and eventually god um <laughs> the version i watched i watched this on a streaming service called plex um, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, the version I watched, two weird things. First, it was a pretty high quality transfer. I don't know if it's as good as the Severn one or whatever, but it looked like it had been restored. It was pretty cool. Except every once in a while, it would cut to a version that looked like it had been dropped in bleach. Like I was watching a drive in, you know, movie uh, version of it for just a few seconds. It would, and it didn't seem like they were you know, extra scenes or whatever. It was like the middle of a scene would cut out to this unrestored version that would pop back into the regular version. Um, that was kind of jarring. But even more jarring was at the end when Nina is confronting Roberto and revealing all of this stuff about her relationship with her father and why she went crazy and all this, the English dropped out of yeah. the dub and she was speaking only in Italian. So I got you know bits of it like i think i wrote some of this down what she said uh was it not my subtitle? dad rate no there was no subtitles anywhere in the movie and i was like okay it's fine because it's in english but i got like uh dad raised me as a boy and they would just be like this long italian rant and then she's <laughs> like i can't believe this and then more italian ranting i'm like so guys what the hell was she saying i kind of picked up on it but was there some juicy stuff in there well, I mean, the, well, for one, like the reason why that happens is because all the audio was, even the Italian version is recorded after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. So they cut the they cut the various versions, and so like no English, they tried clearly tried to restore it to make it like a full, maybe the Italian cut, but with English language, and so there's no English track for those lines when they restored them to the like the U.S. cut. So. Uh, so when you watch it on, it? so you watch it on like DVD or on this, you know, Blu-ray or whatever, then it usually becomes Italian and then you, it, the subtitles pop up. But unfortunately okay. that didn't seem to happen for you. No, there <laughs> were no subtitles on the Plex, you know, version that I watched which was very frustrating. Well, it's funny like that you mentioned that because I have like these two versions, right? 
and mm -hmm. like I, I watched it on YouTube for whatever reason. Like I could have just popped <laughs> it. and like the YouTube version has commercials every goddamn five minutes. So I'm like, why the hell am I? Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> whatever. I don't. But know. it feels like it's the same version that you watched because the the English audio drops out. I was watching it with the, the subtitles on it, so the the English drops out, and she she talks about like what her stepfather did to her and whatnot, and all her most of her trauma details. Um, and then, like, I finally found you, and you look the same like him, or whatever. Like, she talks about that, like, in it Italian, and then it drops back into English. So, like, it was. I think they used yeah. um, the Shameless version, which I think I believe I haven't watched this version in a while, but I believe it does that. I believe uh, they both ver both of those. I think have both like a straight English version, and then mm -hmm. like a director's cut. That right. has those moments. Like you can choose on both of those, the Blu-rays, I think, which one you want to watch. But yeah, it's just, I mean, so yeah, I don't know, because I watched it with subtitles. I don't remember which mm. part, you know, is is the Italian stuff. But like, yeah, she her father, who we have a hint is not really her father from the doc from like the institute. He says, Oh, by the way, like we always kind of assumed that it wasn't her real father. So a stepfather or father character wants a boy, raises her as a boy, uh, and then something happens and she gets shut. You know, she gets put in like an institution like her mom was, mm -hmm. and that's like her flashback. And so, but the father dies before she ever gets to like you know attract her or get her revenge on him. So when she finds uh, Roberto. He looks like him. She decides that she's right. gonna enact that revenge on him instead. <laughs> right. Uh, Which is very strange because Roberto seems like for 1971 a very modern young character like that. So like was her dad uh <laughs> like a long haired hippie rock musician too? <laughs> it just well, we don't like know we don't know up. what part of him resembles her dad. Right. Know, maybe. right. Yeah. But like to me that speaks clearly to like mental illness and you know oh, that yeah. deep seated trauma from back then and how that can affect somebody like in, in their present life or whatever you know yeah it it almost bring it back to friday the 13th mrs Voorhees was exacting that revenge on everybody who revisited the camp because she kept reliving mm -hmm. you know the the neg neglected drowning of her son from all you know from 30 years ago um but yeah it's it's a great motivation the reason i love it is because it comes almost out of almost out of nowhere there's no way you could possibly guess that that's what is going, What's on, going on here, right, but right. it still makes complete sense, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then her, her death at the end with the, with that fatal car crash, have either of you seen or read about how they filmed that crash? Because it seems so intricate and it's got coverage from so many different angles. It looked really complex and I just don't I, know how they pulled I, it I off. Read, I read somewhere where they like trash 30 cars or something like that. In I order believe to get the, the the scene correct for Argento, um, so they did a lot of that stuff for real, you know. And then yeah. the ways that they shot like each particular angle, you know. So I'm sure I, I don't know like as to how many cameras there were, um, if it was like the cinematographer's idea to do it. I'm sure Argento was like, "Oh my god, it would be a cool to do this or whatever," you know. <laughs> but um, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, reportedly they uh -huh. had to. 
By the way, yet. I'm so fucking happy, Jay Blake, that you're on this show. Like, <laughs> I, I saw the email with John, and I don't want to throw any shade at John because I love that guy immensely and sometimes too personally. But I want to say that when I popped in here and I saw your face, I was like, it's going to be a fucking great episode. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he they had to get that camera from like a university that used it for like science Hmm. um because they couldn't get a camera that filmed that quickly basically when you shot 24 frames a second film to make it slow motion you had to shoot more frames per second so that when it was played back at 24 frames a second it was slow motion Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't you didn't film it fast or slow. You, you didn't film it slow to make it slow motion. You filmed it fast so that right. it would come on. So I've seen but everything he, he got, from he, he got that for, specifically for the bullet scene, though, right? And then maybe he kind of did it for the end scene too. Yeah, that I'm not sure. Like which one he was planning on or doing, but I've heard everything from a thousand frames a second to three thousand mm. frames a second, and that they would have, <sighs> which is and crazy. that they would have to, <laughs> and they would have to coat the film in like some kind of like lubricant so that it wouldn't burn as it went through <laughs> what the camera uh, that's crazy. and because and you imagine you know of a, a full like reel of film for a camera was maybe 10 minutes of film at a time yeah. that would fit in the magazine for the camera going yeah. that fast he was only getting like a, you know, a minute, two minutes, three minutes of footage in every right. reel. Right. So the fact that they shot it from so many angles and they were only getting, you know, like, <laughs> you know, seconds of film, maybe right, a minute's right. worth of film in every time. It was maybe probably not even a minute. It was just like, you'd have to get it. It's just like, it's mind boggling, like how yeah. many times they had to do it. Also, allegedly, they wanted her to drive the car so that they could get the shot. And she's like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, it'll be fine. You'll be fine. She's like, I'm not doing it. And of course they had a stunt man do it. And like, I've heard everything from that, you know, the, like he got hit in the face with glass and got hardly injured too, to that the time that they did it, the car kind of like blew up and he <laughs> got on fire. <laughs> so that when they actually did shoot her close up, they had to, get a piece of plexiglass to go between her yeah. and the broken glass was the only way she would do it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it is kind of like mind boggling how they did it. Well, that's, that's and where the edit. I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, and the way that it's treated with the music and yeah. everything is it's like, it's very sympathetic and kind yeah. of romantic in a, yeah. in a weird yeah. way. I was going to mention, I, I watched uh, this time around, I just watched, I had it on my TV and I, I put it on YouTube and my son happened to be in the room. And so I watched this movie with him and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, watching, for example, um, Necromantic would be the wrong choice to watch with your son. Right. But like <laughs> something like this, like it's kind of, they don't go too crazy on the gore. Like there are some really like hard scenes or whatever, but I think it's a lot of these jolly tend to like be like sort of um, almost like a movie of the week level kind of like, you know, what you can show or not show your kid or whatever. And and so like he was watching this and he was just mesmerized with some of those scenes. So I was like, oh, wow. Like I wonder, like, you know, because I remember when I first saw this film and that happened, it was just like, 
wow, like that was nothing like I've ever seen before, you know. Um, I had that same kind of experience this morning watching it because, again, my jaw just like fell into my onto my chest when I'm watching this on my my laptop, you know, because uh -huh. it felt very intimate. And what you were saying, Blake, about there possibly being a plexiglass barrier between the actress and the, the shattering glass, you wouldn't know it. I think that's possibly a trick of, of the editing um, to, you know, cut away at just the right time. But you do get that crazy almost like comic book perspective of pushing in as his glasses flying towards your face and just imagining what the aftermath is like because we don't really see what happens to her aside from the head kind of rolling out you know really mm -hmm. quickly and then you know the, the car catches on fire it's very you know i guess artistically done and it's a hell of a way to i, I just love that freeze frame on the flames and then the credits yeah. just start rolling over <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good um but i think I think that's anything else to, to say about four flies on gray velvet. I mean, I, I, I would just say, I would just say that one of the things I always find really interesting about Argento's movies and specifically his Giallo movies, but also in Suspiria is like, it's often the motivation is that the, the main character witnesses the murder mm. and then is like haunted by this idea of like, did I, there's something weird that I'm not remembering. I mean, when we yeah. did trauma, for instance, like, you know, it's, it's that I witnessed it, but there's a, there's an element that I'm not remembering. Right. And this movie doesn't have that, but what it does mm. have, which is in line with that is that when he's, when we see the four flies, it's like the cue, it's the clue that like us and the main character don't understand what it is we're looking at and then it's up mm -hmm. to him to kind of discover what it is which does fall in line but in a very different way so i think in in some ways like this movie has that very argento element of like the clue that's misinterpreted or, or misunderstood but mm -hmm. minus like the memory thing which we see in bird with crystal plumage deep red suspiria uh, all those movies and um for me, I think that's that's one of the things that I kind of stands out about this movie on this viewing. This was always yeah. my um I've always for some reason I've always been really partial to Cat of Nine Tales when it comes to mm -hmm. like his animal trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um and maybe it's because I just haven't seen this movie as many times as I've seen the other movies, because the aforementioned <laughs> lack of availability for so long. <laughs> but yeah. uh um I really it was probably my favorite viewing of it. Uh even more so than when I saw like a pretty beautiful print of it back in you know, 2007, but just, yeah. um, you know, watching, I was watching the movies with like the eye of like, we have to talk about them is always very different than just experiencing them yeah. <laughs> kind of in, yeah. in that way. So um, that was just something that stood out to me that it kind of like goes against that Argento kind of archetype of uh, that's that cliche of story. But um at the same time still has that element, which is really interesting in the way they end up exploring it. One, one thing I thought was unique was um, when uh, God decides to meet him at the, uh, the coffin convention, you know, oh, like, yes. I, I thought that was such a unique place to just, you know, cause like there's death all around and then they're just meeting yeah. at this like, like luxurious futuristic like convention about coffins or whatever I thought that was a great commercialization of death and yeah yeah exactly which i thought like are all throughout his career argento has played around with just like 
themes that he would find interesting and then like inject them in many ways in his films, you know? Um, so I just thought that was a nice little touch. Um, it, it's I, thanks for reminding me. I, I actually did make a note of that because it's not just that they're a coffin convention. You get all these almost like mad magazine, marginal, you know, comic strips of like what's going on at the convention. Like you've got the one guy who's like, ah, it's it's a little uncomfortable, and the one guy's like, we've never had any complaints. Yeah. Um, and then the other, there's the other bit where the salesman says, oh, we've got a special going, twenty five percent discount for anybody who dies during yeah. the funeral that our coffin is presented <laughs> at. I'm like, so good. The romantic and, double coffin. Wow. And it it just speaks to like his itch to like just kind of play around with comedy with his next film. Um, but there are many many. Sp- you know, flourishes of that in Deep Red as well, like in terms of like the quirkiness, uh, you know, when David Hemmings gets into the car, like things like that, like um, just met, like he he's very cheeky with a lot of his humor and a lot of his films. Um, and it just kind of bleeds out in some of these films a little bit more than others. But yeah. Love it. All right. Well, well said, both of you guys um, got three more comments to close out the show. Big Swifty 500. Thank no, you for, for watching. I know. I know it's, it hurt. It hurt me to see it when it popped up. I knew we'd have to talk about it. this film. Is my eh, Giallo? I, you know, I respect everybody's opinion. I might not understand it. Um, so, if you want to elaborate, come back and, and leave a comment because I'd be I'd be interested to know how that's possible. Um, let's see. Jonas Halberg once again says, "Great show, guys. Thumbs up. Thank you. Thank you." Sir. And Steve Heider says, "Giallo January. Great show." Well. I appreciate awesome. that, as do we all. I think it was a great show for a great movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you, gang. Um, I don't know what we'll talk about next month. Maybe Cat of Nine Tales, because I feel like being a completist or a completionist. But, uh, yeah, uh, what do you think? I think we should have done that first before this movie <laughs> and then go into five days and then, I don't know. But, no, yeah, like, I, I would love to. I, it, it, I So... Quick story before we end off, whatever. Right. Um, I met Argento in Texas. Um, yeah, that's right. The Texas Frightmare thing. And I, I brought my, um, it's a, it's not like a true poster, but it's like a little insert um, from back when they were first promoting the film of Cat and Nine Tails. So it's just the uh, the main graphic, not the, the stuff that's on the side of, of the bigger poster. It's just the cat, right? So that's what I wanted him to sign. And when I was going down there, John was telling me, you know, uh, I've read that Cat of Nine Tales is his least liked film of all of his films. Like, he personally doesn't like that film. So he might, ref- like, I don't know if he was just messing with me or whatever, but he was like, <laughs> he might refuse to sign that or whatever. But when I went up to him and he rolled it out, I did see him kind of pause a little bit, like, huh, okay. And then, like, he went to sign it. So I was, I, 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 you know, I, I'm a big fan of the guy. So I was just wondering, like, did he, did he kind of scoff that I brought out the nine, <laughs> cat of nine tails or whatever, you know? I've, um, I've heard that he's not crazy about it. And he's also, mm-hmm. I've also, I think I've also heard that he's not crazy about Inferno, but, um, which are like two of my favorite Argento movies. But, uh, yeah, I think I might have heard that. I think I've, I think it's his least liked of the trilogy, I think, by fans, from my understanding. Oh, really? Like, okay. People like the first one, and they like this one. But that one, yeah. I've always really liked it. And I it's the only it. Argento movie I have a novelization for. So, Oh, so, nice. So. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. But, but if we do it next month, maybe I'll read it. I think I, I need I to think go to your contender house, for February. Jake. 
Yeah. House <laughs> visit. Yeah. Collection. Just make sure. Make Wonders. sure you know that he knows that you're coming. No, no leaving like notes and stuff in, around his apartment or pictures. Photos of me. Right. Oh, that's Sorry. that's the that's the last bit because there were no subtitles on the Plex version. Whenever they would cut to a note or like when Orosio was reading, you know, and stuff. yeah, no there was idea, no right? context. I'm like, what am I looking at? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I gotta watch the YouTube cut. All right, cool. Well, thanks, guys. As always. Uh, Brian Martinez of the Giallo Room has always been great. More episodes out. soon, by the way. Giallo Room coming at you really Sweet. soon. Sweet. Been working on and that. Awesome. Can't wait to see it. And then, uh, Blake, this is the first time we've had you on since your, your blockbuster uh, Kickstarter uh, uh, indie campaign. It your, was, I can't, it was crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. yeah, Kickstarter campaign for Scored to Death. So you're working hard on the album and then the, the documentary. And, and congratulations. I just want to be able to say that officially to your face. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be a busy year. But uh, yeah, we're producing an album to that was uh, a reward for people so for people that chose that tier. Uh, so that's going to be fantastic. Some great uh, Giallo-esque music is going on that. Nice. And then uh, trying to figure out when the next trip to L.A. to shoot some more interviews for the uh, documentary is. But uh, hopefully in the spring we'll make it out there. That's awesome. exciting. All right. And lastly, we just got a comment in. Martin Caballero says, hi, guys. Oh, nice. Big Argent Argento fan. Cheers from Argentina. Or as I like to call it, Argento. Tina, that, yes. that was a terrible joke on the fly or on the four flies. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys. Uh, check out all their stuff down below. There will be links. And, and thanks again to AC for joining us earlier. Sorry, I ran a little bit over, but it's a great discussion. So until oh, yeah. next time, whenever that is, whatever that is, take care and uh, we'll catch you later. Ciao. Ciao.